0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. I have an unbelievable episode this week with Cole Root Johnson, who is a young investor based in San Diego. And uh, Cole is best known for building direct-to-seller pipelines for multifamily investors and for his own business as well. Um, just an extraordinarily successful guy, uh, someone who's done 400-plus deals uh, in his early 20s. I believe he's 24 years old right now. And uh, just an expert on building uh, direct to seller systems, direct to seller processes, just direct to seller marketing and prospecting in general. And this is an unbelievably tactical episode. And I wanted to get Cole on the show because obviously in our business, we're passionate about going direct to seller. Um, A lot of what I talk about is building your own off market deal pipeline. And I talk about the importance of that and how you can do that. And, uh, And Cole is just a master of this, right? So I wanted to get him on here and really dish on a deep level about what he's doing in his business and how multifamily investors can actually go out there and market and prospect to other multifamily owners and build their own deal pipeline and and, ultimately take control of their own deal flow. So this episode is an incredibly tactical one. We talk about exactly where you can find data, the exact list you should be mailing to, exactly how you should be reaching out to owners from a sequencing standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, how you can stand out, how uh, marketing and prospecting to multifamily or commercial real estate owners is different than marketing to single family owners. And um, it's just a playbook, man. I mean, I think this is the episode that uh, shows you exactly what you need to do. And Cole is incredibly knowledgeable about this topic. Uh, One of the favorite episodes or my favorite episodes I've done, I should say on the podcast. So Highly, highly recommend you listen to this, even if you don't plan on doing direct-to-seller marketing. This is just a great like business 101 episode in terms of messaging, knowing your customer, um, building strategy and building systems, etc. So, uh, really, really excited to release this one. And if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you shared this episode with somebody in your network. Whether that's sharing it on Instagram, sharing it on LinkedIn, messaging it to somebody that you know in your network... Um, you know, Our goal is to get this show in front of more folks and uh, people sharing it is how we do so. So we really appreciate that. And because we're on the topic of building your off-market deal pipeline, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug our course. And uh, I think we're coming up on 150 students in it or so. We've received incredible feedback from all of the folks that are working through the program. You know, We've gotten some unbelievable testimonials about how this uh, content has really changed their business and allowed them to get out in the marketplace, make more offers and put themselves in a position to actually buy more deals. And I think right now where the bid-ask spread is so wide between brokers and sellers, right? The brokers and the sellers camp and then the buyer side of the table is really the time to take charge of your deal flow. Um, So if you want to learn more about it, it's called Off-Market Multifamily Deals. All of the links uh, to that course are going to be in the show notes. Um, And again, unbelievable content if you're looking to take charge of your own deal flow And if you no longer want to rely on brokers or other folks to send you deals So highly recommend you check it out if that's you But anyways, let's get to this week's episode with Coleroo Johnson What's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. I am really excited to have a conversation today with Mr. Colruge Johnson, somebody who is extremely well known in the business for finding off-market deals, building an off-market deal pipeline, structuring the, you know, structuring your business actually go out there and systematize or systematically buy off-market deals in a systematized way. This is stuff that I nerd out on because, uh, you know, just in terms of what we do in our business, we do a lot of direct to seller. Um, as I was mentioning to you, Cole, before we hit record here, so this is going to be a great episode for everybody out there that is trying to buy deals off market or buy more deals off market. If you already are, so with that being said, Cole, why don't we start with your background, man? Share a little bit about uh, how you got into real estate, you know, what your business has looked like over the last few years, and what you're up to now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Before I get into that, thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to uh, the show and chopping it up for a while here. So. My background—I got into the real estate space. Um, it's kind of been a family pastime of mine. My great grandma started the first like residential brokerage in Seattle, a long time ago. My grandma was a realtor. Uh, my mom was a realtor. My brother started as a realtor. And so when I was in high school, going into college, everyone was like, "What do you want to do?" And I'm like, "Well, man, I want to make—I'm going to make, make money and work for myself." And the clearest path that I, had, I saw is being a real estate broker. So I went down to college to play. Um, originally, I was going to walk on and play at a small D two school and. and uh, um, a little outside of L.A., Azusa Pacific University, and um, went down there for a semester to join the team, blah, blah, blah. And, and sitting in class one day, and I had done running start in high school. So running start, if you guys listen that don't know, running start is a program some states have. I don't know about all states, but my state did. And essentially your junior and senior year um, of high school, you spend that on a, on a junior college campus, so knocking out your, all your prerequisites for college. At the same time, you still get to play sports for your high school. You're still part of the school, but it kind of gives you a quote-unquote running start. That's why it's called that. And so I was sitting in class one day, I was like, man, you know, I have two years done already. So I already two years ahead of my peers and why don't, this is the best time of my life to go take two years and, and give it a run at this self-employed thing right now. And then if I fail for two years, whatever, I'll come back, be on the same track as my peers. And, um, I wasn't too interested in the whole like college party life thing. That wasn't my thing. I was like business, uh, sports, how do I, how do I, um, you know, keep pushing the ball forward on that. So I'd run some e-commerce stores while in college and, and I dabbled here and there and, um, so finally, random Tuesday, uh, I left, I left my like anthropology class or something, got in my car and drove from LA to uh, Seattle and uh, about a two day car ride. And I got home and I had very supportive parents, but I got my broker's license and I did the normal thing that residential brokers do. I, you know, it was sitting open houses and, um, calling expired listings and, showing buyers around town and doing everything to make a buck. And I I mean, I wasn't making much money. My first year in real estate, probably made 20 grand or something like that when I left college and I was 18, 19. So living at home, that still allowed me to stack some cash, but wasn't really going anywhere. And finally, you know, after moving to my fourth or fifth brokerage, I was at this brokerage named caliber real estate um, and they were doing a lot of off-market stuff with residential homes. So they're going to the auctions and they're pre-selling auction deals to their pool of investors and making 10, 20, 30, 40 grand per deal. And I was like, man, this is uh, this is more my speed. I can sit behind computer and, um, you know, figure out a system and a process and a way to get leads in the door, and then, um, you know, essentially package these deals up and sell them off market. And uh, kind of coincidentally, same time I was sitting in Applebee's, which, with with my buddy Paul, who came, became my first business partner, um, eventually, and we were like, man, we can do this. We saw some guy on Instagram post like a forty thousand dollar wholesale fee. On like a duplex or something, and I was like, man, if that guy can do this, we know him. Like, we can definitely figure this out. So, for the next six months, we sat in my parents' like upstairs bedroom, calling a list from a title company, and um, uh, we got our we got our feet wet that way. I got our first deal, and my first deal was definitely out of the norm. My first deal was a hundred and five grand check that I got from selling a house in Seattle, I'm off market, I was in a wholesale. And I was like, man, there's there's something here this off market side. Uh, this whole brokerage being a broker thing is, I think, played out uh, at least for me because you know, being 18, 19, Maybe it's a limiting belief, but I, I didn't really find too many sellers that wanted me to sell their $2 million home with no, um, no book of business. So mm-hmm. that transpired into uh, you know starting to pay for masterminds and courses and slowly figuring it out. And how I got into kind of the commercial and multifamily side of it, off-market sourcing. And that is I was at Brandon Turner's like first Maui mastermind event back in, I think, 2020 that he ever did. Uh, with like AJ Osborne and and Brandon and and James Zanard and um, Brian Murray, guys that are very big in the multifamily commercial space. And we were doing hot seats and a lot of people there, you know, Ashley Wilson too. She does a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff with uh, Jay Scott. And uh, they were asking me like, Hey, does this translate into what we do? And that was the first time I ever started dabbling with my systems and process around off-market Legion and the commercial multifamily space. Um, And it worked great. And so that's, that's how I got, Pivoted into that as well, so now I'm very involved in both, you know, single-family residential and commercial when it comes to off-market leads and off-market deals. But that was kind of my my run into real estate and what got me into the industry that you know became eventually my full-time, uh, you know, I guess the thing I nerd on, nerd out on with most of my time.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's incredible, man. It's a, it's a killer story, and I got to imagine that staring at a six-figure check probably pulls you away from the brokerage game pretty quick especially at that age. Yeah. Um, I myself, I, I got licensed pretty early. I got licensed at like 19, 20, something like that. And I ran into the same thing. You know, I knew I wanted to build a rental portfolio, start buying multifamily properties and start scaling that business. But, you know, I was like, all right, I got to start, you know, I got to make some money here to pour into that business. But uh, you don't win a lot of listings looking like a young guy. That's not really a recipe for success <laughs> when you're trying to sell a middle-aged couple's nice home. So I, I feel that pain for sure. Um so let's talk about, you know, well, I guess, first of all, before you get into a lot of the tactical stuff, we're going to talk about, you mentioned you, you you bought some courses, joined some masterminds. I'm a huge proponent of paying for education, paying for shortcuts, leveraging other people's networks, et cetera. It's, you know, I think that's how I've gone ahead in this business. Um, yep. How did you approach making those decisions? Would you recommend any of the groups? Because I know a lot of folks that listen, they, they're they hesitant to spend on education. And 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 part yeah. of doing the show, I try to really push people into doing that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Great question. So I've, uh, you know, being 24, being turning 25, um, I feel like a 40, 50 year old in business. And I would attribute that to mentors and, and peers and people I've been able to, to leverage, not leverage. That's kind of a bad way to put it, but networks I've been able to get myself into and and meet more people and leverage one relationship to get to the next. And, um, I did it naturally at first. Like I was kind of just how my mind worked is like, I kind of just had an understanding that like people scale way faster than money does. And I can't, Mm. like Recommend that to people that are listening to this enough. Like, we all think money hiring hiring someone, you know, collecting money to you know buy that new system, that new software is going to what is what makes us money. But ultimately, people are what make you money, especially in real estate, but really any business. And uh, you know, and that that goes into social media too. That's why I'm so big on trying to push social media now is because I talk about this on my podcast a lot too. But there's nothing that scales you faster than communicating what you do with the world and meeting other people that are doing it. Because there's just things that you don't think about if you're kind of trying to solopreneur it and you can't, you can't understand everything. And, uh, you know, for me, 21 going to that mastermind, I, you know, I probably shouldn't have been there, but I built good enough relationships with people that I got that invite. And that's led into all my biggest mentors and business part business partners and partnerships. And, um, what set me I think um, on a very good course as well as I can call people with any situation. So if I was you know telling anyone here, um, you should be investing, investing most of your capital. Beyond your living expenses, into growing your network and, and people you're interacting with, and your brand, your personal and company brand, because that's what is going to set you up long term. Like our world is only becoming more and more centered around your Instagram, and your Twitter, your mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Like that is a business card. No one cares about your business card. No, honestly, no one cares where you went to college. No one cares what you say you've done. They want to look at you online and see who does this person know. How can this person help me? That's just how the business world works. Yeah. Um, and so, everyone that I talk to, I'm I'm all in on you know getting most of my cash back out into creating more content, meeting more people and developing more relationships.
0: hundred percent, man. And that's, and I fully subscribe to that. You know, uh, most of the people that listen to this or follow me on Instagram, I'm inc- just incredibly active on Instagram and it's done great things for our business, both from a capital raising standpoint, as well as just finding joint venture partners, finding folks that we could partner with on deals, et cetera. Um, you know and I, I think the the how I learned about you and, and the I mean the fact that we're having this conversation right now, it'll happened through Twitter, which is a platform yeah. I'm trying to get more active on. And um, you know, first of all, I love the content you put out and I want to be sure to include your handle in the in the show notes when when we wrap up the show, but um, but it is so important to be doing things that allow you to scale your business in in a, in a little bit more of a systemized way. And in real estate, your network is incredibly valuable, especially in multifamily, like really specifically in multifamily, because it's a team sport. And if you can network at some level of scale and you can establish a credibility online that when people look you up, they Google you, they see you, you got some followers, you got some content out there, it's value add, that just shortcuts the path to actually building great relationships. And that's, it's so important. So, um, so, you know, it's great that you highlighted that now. Absolutely. Yeah, let's just dive right into some of the off-market stuff here. So, um, you mentioned that you started, uh, you know, doing some marketing and and actually building some systems and doing some lead gen, single-family, you know, homeowners. While you were in Seattle, you, you picked up some nice checks. I know you've since moved to San Diego, yeah. um, and you went to the Maui Mastermind, and you know, you're, you're saying, hey, this works in multifamily as well. Obviously, that's our audience. It's folks that are buying multifamily. It's folks that invest in multifamily. Um, the first question I want to ask you is just at a very high level. How is marketing to single family homeowners, maybe distressed folks, on the single family side different than marketing to sellers to you know with the attention of buying multifamily assets, if there is any difference? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before we dive into the specifics.
1: Yeah, there, there are for sure some differences, not as many as people think, right? The the normal you know, thesis people have is this is a more complex lead, more complex conversation, more complex set, which they're right to a certain extent. And it depends on the size of asset you're going to buy. So if you told me, hey, Cole, now I want to buy a 350-unit multifamily building, that's a hard off-market deal. You're not going to really get a cold call lead that turns into a 400-unit, 500-unit, you know, 20, 30, $40 million uh, purchase. But for the people, you're playing in the middle. You're playing you know, let's call between five units and 150 units. Like that is a level of ball that you can play at in the off market space, very similarly to you as you can, the single family space. And I was shocked when I really got into this realizing just how, how many of these people aren't being talked to by anyone, right? Like, like when they get ready to sell, you know, they'll talk to a broker or they'll talk to someone else and they'll, they'll go that route. But the amount of people who don't even know people are interested in what they own. For example, I like can like talk about multifamily specifically, like a guy that inherits a 40 unit building from his sister or brother or father or whatever that they passed away. And that it's sitting there for two years and they're collecting checks, but everything's on paper. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're, not, they're not in this, this side of the world that we live in. Like All of us that live in this like real estate, multifamily, passive income side of the world, we're a very small portion of the population. So Joe in Arkansas or parts of California that works for an HVAC company that inherits a property that's a 40 unit that for whatever reason um, someone passed and they pass it on to him, he doesn't even know people want what he has. Um, and so a phone call or text goes a long way in, in opening up that conversation. So uh, people will be very, very surprised about how much interest there is off market, um, spe- specifically in that kind of range of asset class, right? a lot of, And most people that do target those, they just do mailers. They're not really doing a strategic outreach with the cold context and overlaying all that um, in the right sequence to make sure they have a conversation with everyone. And um, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there, um, relaying the stuff that works in single family, tweaking it a little bit. The one thing that does change quite a bit is the data side, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but besides that, it's a very similar process. And There's a lot of money to be made um, for the people that want get, to get really good at that here in, in
0: 2023. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, you know, I say the same thing. It's it's gonna be extraordinarily challenging to find an institutional size deal off market direct to seller. The players are just too sophisticated at the end of the day. And hey, you know, maybe you're the yeah. exception, but you are most definitely not the norm. And yep. um, you know, from a time investment standpoint and a dollar investment standpoint, it makes sense to focus your efforts where you have a higher likelihood of transacting, right? That you you mean you just mentioned that as a five to 150 unit deal range. And then the lower you get in that range, the more likely it is that you're gonna have some success. Um now, you know, the one thing that I do want to discuss is the messaging. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about data maybe right after this, but, you know, the messaging in the single family world, sell your house fast for cash, no repairs needed, quick close, you're oftentimes speaking to financial distress. Is that the same messaging that you use in your communication when you're reaching out to multifamily owners? Is there a different type of messaging that you like to focus on or is that truly similar as well?
1: So in the single family space, you're really trading on very urgent motivation, you know. Meaning, you're you're the reason you're getting a discounted asset is because someone's going through immediate distress, which is why they need to sell. Okay, um, and yeah, you will deal with a certain level of lack of knowledge, right? So, you know, that that's where wholesalers get a bad rep, or fix and flippers that buy off market single family is, you know, you're taking advantage of someone just because they don't know what's going on at the market. But usually, the main reason is because there's some kind of distress in their life um, that, that isn't going to be alleviated by an agent coming in, cleaning up the house, and putting it on the market. So that's usually what the conversation entails. Is on the single family side, you're trying to figure out their motivation, which also matters in the multifamily space. But there's a lot of educating you have to do to an off-market seller in multifamily and industrial, Um, especially with the debt market being what it is right now. And a lot you have to get creative a lot of time to pick up a lot of deals right now. Like it's it's much less you're, you're dealing less with immediate motivation. Like the guy that inherits a 40 unit, you know, probably. You know, it might be one of the things he liquidates if he gets in a tough spot. More likely than not, he's going to go sell his car or his house before he tries to deal with selling an a apartment building. And so you're not dealing with as urgent motivation. Um, it's, it's a lot more relationship building than single family is. When you go buy a single family house off market, they don't really care about you. They don't care who you are. To them, you're a pawn shop. It's a quick, get rid of my house, move on. They own one house. You know, if you're dealing with a landlord that owns two or three 30-unit buildings or someone that inherits a property, it's going to be a lot more, you know, getting that lead in the door than building a, a much more personal relationship. I have a buddy of mine, Elliot, Eastern Washington, who picks up a lot of buildings off-market, multifamily in this range. And he's so successful because, you know, he he. it's very relationship-based marketing. So he's doing the outreach, he's getting them in his system with cold calling, texting, and postcards. But then he's he's focusing a lot more on the relationship with that seller than he would be a single family. And the, the backside of that, you get a lot of referrals from that person because most landlords, they know other landlords, um, especially in, in that kind of size. Um, it becomes kind of a community where they share property management companies, whatever, they share resources. And so you get other deals too by building those relationships. So that's what I see work best in multifamily commercial industrial is you, uh, you do your normal marketing. When leads come in, you really take a personalized relationship approach because these deals don't play out as quickly. Some do, but most of them don't play out as quickly as a single family house does, right? There's usually more due diligence, usually more back and forth. There's usually more at stake. Um, and so that was, that's what I'd say would be the big, biggest difference in conversation and messaging between the two asset causes.
0: For sure. Yeah. And and, and that's what we do in our business, right? That's what I tell folks. It's there, there's, it's very rare that somebody who's selling a multifamily property, unless it's in complete and utter distress, is selling it as a result of financial distress. Usually it's you're reaching retirement age, or they're looking to downsize their portfolio, or they're looking to actually grow their portfolio and sell their smaller buildings, buy some bigger buildings, right? And they actually like the idea of ease, ease of transaction off market. Or it's a mom and pop owner, and they don't like the idea of walking a whole slew of buyers through their property and disturbing their tenants and and alerting their tenants to what's going on. Right. And it's kind of like the idea of just one intrusion, right. During the inspection and that's it. And they can get away without those, all those uncomfortable conversations. Um, So the motivations are different for sure. I think that's a great distinction. Um, Now let's talk about data. So I want to talk about data sources, you know, maybe where you're finding great data as it relates to commercial real estate, specifically multifamily real estate, and then, where do you start from, like a list standpoint? You know, we, we know in the single family world, you got the probates, you got the out of state owners, you got the, uh, you know, maybe an inherited list, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the go to lists or just higher level lists that you want to pull if you're going to market to commercial real estate, specifically multifamily?
1: Yeah, I guess there's a few questions in there. First, with like the, the baseline data side, um, there's a,
0: a bunch of different data sources. What I tell everyone,
1: no matter what kind of off market sourcing I'm talking about, is there's no real like foolproof data source, right? Every data company has issues with how often they update it, how frequently they update it, um, how they code it in their system. Like it's, you're, you're no matter which asset class you deal on, you're going to deal with very inaccurate data across the board. That's just how the world works and um, the data world at least. So what we want to do, we want to minimize our chance, maximize our chances of getting in touch with people. So um, I'm not a proponent of just going to one data source, but like, here's where I go get my you know, my 30 to 40 unit multifamily data. Like I like mixing it up. So when, when I go to build a data set for a client or I'm helping someone build a data set, we're doing it internally for one of our campaigns. I'm going to three, four, five, six different data, data companies and aggregating all of that and creating the best data set I can. So, you know, I'm going to Reonomy. I'm going to CoStar, I'm going to Cruxy, I'm going to Adam Data. I'm going to CoreLogic, which is list source. I'm going to Prospect now and PropStream and all these different data sources. I'm building at first what I call like my, my base core data set. So this is just Data sets that meet my buy box. I'll give you an example. of A guy named RJ who I work with, um, who wanted ten thousand square foot or larger um, buildings in, um, in uh, Oklahoma City. So we're gonna st- we're gonna go get a base list. That's there's not a ton of motivation on those lists except for you know what's your buy box, what's your square footage, unit count, stuff like that. Um, and then we go and we build more more distress into that list. So then we're going to uh, more targeted data brokers and we're getting. Um, way more targeted data that's your, you know your expired listings your pre, um, your pre foreclosure there's really a couple different types of motivation we want to look for in a commercial multifamily seller the first one being primary asset distress right does that asset have liens against it does that asset um, has it been um, a, was it a filled listing right did that seller try to take that to market but it failed things like that the second thing you want to look for is primary owner distress. Okay. So that is, does that, is that owner going through a, a, a divorce, a bankruptcy? Um, uh, does he have child support liens against them? Like, do they have any kind of primary owner distress? And then once we have those two things, we want to look at alter- alternative asset distress. So we want to go into their, their portfolio and see what other assets does this person own and what can we find out about those? Because if this guy has a single family house in pre foreclosure, or three single family houses that have liens against them, more likely than not, he's going to be more motivated to sell other parts of his portfolio to liquidate Um, than a guy that doesn't have those. So that's how we, you know, we build onto our our database on top of just like our core list. Um, And that's just like the raw data side, right? The second piece of that, I'll kind of go right into it is how do we get in contact with these people? It's different than single family. Most multifamily owners, except for your mom and pops are going to own in some kind of LLC, a trust, a corporation. They're not going to own it under the personal name, especially if they're smart, right? So, um, you know, there's, there's a, million different ways to do this. You can have a virtual assistant go into open corporates and scrub them out one by one. You can, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. But what I recommend doing is going, getting a couple of buddies together, going to open corporates and paying for API access. That API access is going to allow you to essentially upload a list of 3,000 records at once. And it's going to clean up your file for you without you having to go in there one by one. Um, and if you go get four buddies, you guys go pay for that. That's going to cost you each a couple hundred bucks a month um, to get a, to access to the API at the scale that you need it. Um, and then you're going to have a cleaned up data set Uh, core data as well as niche data, put it on a list stacker and you'll have owners of all those entities, okay? Um, And then of course it's phone numbers. So using a skip trace service, there's a million of them out there. Um, We use need to skip and easy button skip trace is the two we use internally. And uh, that'll give you phone numbers and emails. And that's how we essentially build a like like core data set. Um, But again, back to lists, Like the whole thing of data is you wanna give yourself the best chance possible. So aggregate as much as you can because it's just not that accurate. And I'm sure most of you guys listening who have tried direct to seller, um, specifically for multifamily, you found that out. What well, this list, this this list said this guy was a, a tax delinquent lead, and he's not. He said he's never even had a any troubles with tax delinquency, and you're going to get a lot of that. So it's just maximizing your chances for success by you know stacking as much as you can on on, on top of those leads.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, yeah, I mean that's the challenge when you start getting into commercial real estate is the. The the data, I mean, where a lot of these companies are pulling the data from, it can it can start to to become messy along the way, right? You start trying to yes. pull large data from like a list source and, you know, large parcels, right? You may have a few different lots that make up one larger parcel. A list source might only pull one and they may not get the whole, you right. know, prop, there's all kinds of little stuff that can happen. Um, so it makes sense to, to actually aggregate from multiple sources and then actually build out that core list. Now, one quick question before we move on, um, you know, just because I'm sure a listener, you know, one listener out there will have this as a as a thought. When you started talking about pulling lists for primary asset distress, you know, owner distress, alternative asset distress. Um, are those just manual lists that you have somebody on your team pulling when you mentioned you know, finding out if they have finding out if the owners on this list maybe have some alternative asset distress or or finding out if these owners have some kind of distress in other places, you know, via a divorce or something like that. Um, is that more manual in terms of how you find those find those lists and then overlay them onto your, you know, your base one?
1: So there's a lot of ways, but the most most simple way is PropStream has a tool where you can upload a list there. Um and by mailing address, it'll show you other properties that it knows that person owns. And so if PropStream has the record, which it usually doesn't for multifamily and commercial, but if it does, that's so if you're going after like five units, like PropStream will have most of that data. So you can be able to upload your list and based on mailing address, it'll show you the other properties that person owns. What we do and what people do at scale is you'll go and you'll buy, say you're buying multifamily, you're buying multifamily in, you know, LA County, California. Okay. So you're going to go and you're going to buy all the single family data in LA County, California, because multifamily landlords most likely own some single family and you're going to get that data just by kind of doing a bulk overlay. Cause if you're going to spend the money, you might as well spend the money and get all the data you can on that person. So, um, that, that third part of it, the alternative asset distress doesn't make a lot of sense if your marketing budget doesn't have some some room in it. But if it does, it's a great way to overlay and get more data on your prospect. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I tell people too is like there's only so much data out there on, mm-hmm. on buying commercial real estate, multifamily. Like there's you don't have nearly as many opportunities as you do on single family. So a lot of the times, like you can get away without stacking your list a crazy amount and just kind of blanketing the people you have, as long as you do it in the right way. You don't want to send one around a postcard. You're like, oh, the people will call me back. You want to still have a, a process behind it, but you don't have to spend the money to go that in depth if you don't want to. Um, it does give you a competitive edge against competition, but it's not like a hundred percent necessity because um, there's just so there's not you're, you're limited in your you know
0: total marketable assets. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, right? I mean, you know, for example, one of the markets we buy in is New Hampshire. We also buy in Central Florida. You know, we have a a range that we buy in New Hampshire. We look for anything five to 100 doors. And in the the geographical areas we look, I mean, there's there's about a million people in aggregate in terms of the whole southern part of New Hampshire. And if we pull a list of five to 100 unit assets, I mean, our one filters like haven't sold in the last three years um, maybe we get 2000 records, you know, it, the list is not that big, right? So yep. at the end of the day, you can afford to mail, to, you should be able to afford to mail to that and, and, you know, call the majority of that list, et cetera, do the things that we're going to continue to talk about throughout this episode. And, um, you know, if you could stack a few lists on top of that and, and, and get really granular with the, with the folks that are showing up on multiple lists, that's great. But, yep. um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it needs to be more complicated than that.
1: So no, you know the one the one the one good reason behind doing it is you know there's some more expensive marketing types that I do recommend to people as you scale you know your off-market efforts like those video postcards that are a little more expensive those run a dollar dollar fifty a pop um, that you want to be more targeted with there's also there's a lot of a lot of tech coming around around like um, personalized MMS so not SMS but MMS um, and again I'm not going to give legal advice on on whether to use it or not or when to use it but it's a very creative thing we're starting to try with. You can create a personalized video. So you essentially use Synthesia, which is like an AI company and um, pretty easily you can set up an AI where you're sending an MMS to a seller, but it's a video of you addressing them personally and it matches their name, changes what you say with AI and sends them a personalized text message. Pretty expensive to send, but those get a lot of people's attention as well. So um, you know, the, the higher up you go in terms of complexity of your marketing and, and and the cost per piece or cost per call or cost per text is, you will want to get more in depth with um, who those are going to.
0: For sure. No, that's great. And I, and I, and, you know, ideally we get into that. Um, but first let's just uh, let's pretend that we're, you know, we're an owner, we're in some market in the country, you know, we're, I don't, we're in Raleigh, North Carolina, right? We're a multifamily yeah. owner, everything we've bought through brokers. We want to go out there and start our you know, start our direct to seller marketing efforts, prospecting efforts. We got a list from Me, Maybe we, you know, got another list that we stacked on top of it, but we got a thousand properties we want to start reaching out to, pure hypothetical. Um, what is step one, you know, in terms of what's the best way to start this process? Should we be mailing, then calling, then texting? You know, is there some sequence to this? If it were you yeah. doing this, how would you go about it?
1: <clears throat> There's a hundred percent a sequence to it. So, as a marketer, and I don't have a marketing degree, I'm not an expert marketer, but I can I can speak directly to real estate marketing. Your job, if you're gonna do marketing for your real estate business, is to get a yes or a no from people as quick as you possibly can. Um, and also to to create an internal KPI that you can predict out. The best way to do that to me is forcing a conversation. You can't force a conversation with a mail piece. That's very much, hey, here I am, reach out to me when you're when you're ready. That's farming, right? You're over time building that relationship with different mail pieces. For me. You know, cold calling and SMS, more so cold calling because SMS is getting very restricted, but a cold call done the right way, you're forcing a conversation on someone. And it sounds bad, but you're, you're essentially, you're making the first move. Okay, postcards, you kind of are, but you're getting them on the phone right away and you're, you're forcing them into your yes, no funnel, right? Yes, I, I would think about selling. Okay, get them into your CRM, work them long term. So in my, in my opinion, if you want to go and start sourcing off market, the number one thing you can do is have some kind of cold call campaign at scale whether that's you calling someone on your team calling or going and hiring like a very trained overseas person, like for us, I would never put a, a commercial multifamily caller in the Philippines, right? You want to go somewhere that's very, very um, level one English speaker. Like for our campaigns, we use Belize for multifamily commercial Belize is English first. It's high level uh, English speaking, and, um, you can train them specifically on that asset class. So cold calling number one for me, um, cause you can force that conversation. It's predictable. The KPIs are very, that they, over time, you have a very clear KPI and your, you know, your call is. Per lead, your leads to contract, um, your lead to when, how quickly that sales cycle happens. So, you know, if I, was, if I was dropped in a new market and I had to find a, a multifamily deal off market, I'm probably starting with cold calling. I'm going through the data stack that I just went to and, and prioritizing the most likely to sell uh, people first. And then I'll work my way down um, through texting, through um, some very targeted mailers. Um, but the, there, is a, there needs to be a sequence to it. Like, that's where most investors go wrong, is they just throw mail at the wall and hope people call them back. Um and if you really want to, I guess, be a um a leader in off market deal sourcing on the assets you focus on in your area, you need to have some kind of method to Madness. you need to be a business owner and have a strategic process of here's when people get cold calls. If we can't get a hold of them after say five times, then they're gonna get text messages. If we can't get a hold of them after five times at that, There when people get postcards. And that's that's the most, you know, scalable um you know, marketing ch- market way to market to multi-family for me because people get themselves into problems where they send postcards. It works for a quarter, they get three deals and they send them the rest of the year. They don't get another deal from it, but they're burning cash. And that's why they eventually get turned off to, to uh, marketing off market is because they don't have any process to that. So,
0: yeah. No, that's great. And, um, and I just want to summarize, right. In terms of a process that, that can be, you know, directly applied by folks out there listening. So you just mentioned uh, towards the end of, you know, that answer and what you were just discussing. Call them five times, then maybe text them five times, and then begin mailing? Is that typically the sequence that you'd like to approach is start with calling, proceed to texting, proceed to mailing?
1: Yeah, calling is the quickest. So you can get through, You know, say you get a list of 2,000 people or 1,000 people like you're talking about, like, that doesn't take long to cold call through the right way. So you're, you're forcing yes or no's out of people very quickly. Anyone you can't get a hold of on the phone, you're going to text message them if, if, if that's something you guys want to do. If you can't get a hold of them via texting then you're going to mail them so the way i like to put this is if you knew if you're listening and you knew if you got a hold of me somehow i was a, i was a multifamily seller ready to sell at 70 cents on the dollar um you're going to buy with a lot of equity or you're going to wholesale it out or you're going to whatever you're going to do to that property you know if you get in contact with me i'm a deal i'm ready to sign if you call me this is what most investors do they call me once okay i don't answer whatever i'm busy i'm out and about they never call me again that's most people's marketing channel if they do cold calling Okay, the other guy is going to mail me once or twice. If I don't respond to the mailer, he's going to move on to the next list, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the guy that mails me, so if you listen to this, say you mailed me, say you called me three times, I don't answer. You call me a fourth time, I don't answer. You call me a fifth time, I don't answer. You're okay. I've called this guy five times. Most likely he's not responsive to a phone call. I left voicemails. Awesome. Tried that. Now I'm going to text him. You text me once or twice, I don't respond. Third or fourth time, I don't respond. Fifth time, I don't respond. Okay. Cole clearly does not respond to text messages. Okay. So we got cold call, check, texting, check. How else would we try to reach him? Mail. Okay. Awesome. How do we set ourselves apart? Mm, Instead of just sending a normal mail piece, what are people not doing? Okay. Video postcard. So you send me a video postcard. I go, Oh man, this thing stands out. I give you a call. You say, okay. Hey Cole, man, we've been trying to reach you forever. Oh, what do you mean? Oh man, here's our number. We've called you five times. We texted you five times. Now you're finally calling us back in. Um, that's, how that funnel works in real life. And that's the, the thought process behind the whole thing that um, I've always thought about it that way. And it's worked great because over time, right, some sellers might respond on the fourth round of text messaging, but now it's your ninth time trying to reach them. Um, but they just don't respond to phone calls. Like I don't really pick up phone calls unless someone texts me saying urgent or they leaving a voicemail I can listen to later on. I don't really pick up phone calls. Um, and they're calling me and most sellers operate this way too. Like, there's going to be one communication channel they like. Okay. It's hard for any of us to door knock at scale when I multifamily. A lot of times you can't find out where they actually live, you know, so you got to exhaust all of your options and do them in a way where you, you give yourselves a good chance to um, get in contact with people. And the people that do this, most people are just lazy. They won't go through these steps to reach owners. So that's why I'm talking about this being such an untapped, um, you know, demographic of people
0: hundred percent, man. No, I love that. That's great. You kind of have to exhaust all strategies available to you in order to actually truly give yourself a chance to to get on the phone and have a conversation, put yourself in a spot to where you can even make an offer. Um, And that's, you know, that makes total sense. Now let's talk about what happens if we get somebody on the phone, right? Get somebody on the phone, they tell us, hey, you know, timing's not quite right right now. You know, my kids might want to inherit it, but you know, I'm not totally sure. We're probably going to revisit this and towards the end of the year and whatever, maybe that's six, nine months from now. Okay. And you get you get you get some high level of a conversation, or maybe they want a little bit too much and you're a little bit too far away on price. And they're like, ah, maybe try, you know, talk to me later in the year, or something like that. What do you do with that lead? Um, obviously they're in a CRM. Obviously, you should be taking notes. I think that's the table stakes version of this. Um, do you have any kind of set? Uh, follow up procedures in your business in terms of how how often you want to follow up, how you would like to follow up tactically speaking. Maybe just talk about in general how you approach a lead like that from a follow up, you know, nurturing standpoint.
1: Yeah. So once once someone opts into our funnel, so to speak, so once they've gone through any of our different channels and they said yes, I might want to sell in the next six to twelve months, whatever the reason being, they get into our CRM. That's where you're at, you're at you're in the second inning. Right, of a nine innings of getting a deal signed. So at this point, this is where the, where the real money is made. So once you get a lead in the door, you know, it's, it's a, people are over, underestimate how ruthlessly you have to follow up with people. Everyone's very, very busy. So what I recommend, I call it the six times six rule. So once you get a lead in the door, it's six touch points for six days straight until you get them back on the phone and can continue the conversation. Because the hardest part in the off market space, whether it's a postcard, a cult call, a, a text message, once you get a lead created, getting them back on the phone once they know that's what you want to talk to them about takes forever. It is brutal. Um, and you guys will experience this. So the six times six rule, that doesn't mean you're calling them six times. That means between email, voicemail, text message, and phone call, you're getting six touch points a day from you. That could be two emails, two texts, and two phone calls. It could be uh, two phone calls, two voicemails, two emails, whatever that is. It's six touch points a day for six days. If they call you back, say, Hey, F off, I'll call you when I can. Obviously a different story. Um, but that's what I found to work in regards to getting them back on the phone. And then you can start setting more segmented follow-ups. You get them back on the phone. Hey, call me in a week. Okay, I'll call you in a week. I usually still recommend calling them at half that time um, to really keep the conversation moving, but that's it. And you know, if you have a good CRM, you have automated drip campaigns and texting and email sequencing, you can put them on. Um, but and for that initial conversation post-lead creation, you have to be aggressive. And then from there, you can start to build that relationship. Because like I said earlier in the show, off market on commercial and industrial is all about relationship building more so than it is about um you know urgent motivation okay let's get a quick deal done
0: 100% man now that's great and and the last topic of or last topic i want to discuss is what relates to to nurturing leads continuing to develop those relationships with yep. sellers continue to build that rapport um you know a lot of people in this business talk about you know lead with value bring some value try and you know tr- try and stand out from a follow up standpoint outside of hey you ready to sell yet um, you know, which you can only ask so many times, right? Do you have from from a the language you include in that six by six, right? as you're reaching out those six times or as you as you follow up into the future, maybe beyond that first period of time and and you know, as you hit month one, two, three, four, five, um is there content that you send? Is there a copy that you like to use? Is there anything that you do outside of just kind of general high level follow up? um or do you think it's just, you know, just, Just get out there, get in front of them, stay top of mind. I think
1: the biggest leverage, the biggest lever is personalization. You know, so as you, as you get to know this person, you know, actually, you know, at least making them feel like you care about their situation, you know, so when you follow up with them, if you know they're going through a certain situation, like making sure you're aware of that and that they know you're aware of that. So instead of just sending the same boilerplate text, if a lead comes in, in the notes, it clearly says, if it's from a cold caller, it clearly says like, this person's moving out of state. You know, there's a bunch of different ways you can frame your conversation of, hey, where are you moving? I, I know brokers in every state. How can I help? How can I be of service? And I think um, you know, approaching a seller, especially as you build a relationship in a way of being of service, even if that's like a lot of clients of mine, they'll get on a phone with someone like, hey, if you're not ready to sell, awesome. I also know a painter in this area. I have a bunch of vendors I can share with you. Like, Making yourself available to them as, as a bigger resource than just they think that you're, they're a check to you eventually um, is, is the biggest lever you can pull. There's not a ton of other ways to really quote unquote stand out unless you're going to show up at their doorstep with like a custom mail um, piece. I know I have a buddy of my Elliot who goes above and beyond and he'll send sellers like he will get to know them, figure out what they like and he'll send them whiskey. He'll send them personalized gifts. Like there's a book giftology that he uh, uses a lot of the stuff from that for sellers. But at scale, it's hard to do that stuff. But you do want to personalize your communication somehow um, and build that relationship. And that's what separates you know, people that, you know, do one or two off-market deals a year and people that build a business around off-market real estate is they get really, really good um, at that one thing of creating relationships specifically in, in multifamily and, um, and commercial It's specifically in multifamily because um, yeah. you guys are dealing with a sale where there's, there's so many people involved in the sale of a 30-unit apartment building. You have 30 tenants, you have the seller, you have brokers, you, there's so many parties involved versus, you know, if it's a vacant industrial building sitting on the side of I-5 or, or I-90, it's who cares? Like there's, there's one tenant, maybe um, there's not as many, much complexity. So, you know, making sure you are aware of that, you know, the, you make the seller aware that you're aware of that. Um, and you start solving their individual needs instead of just a boilerplate. Hey, I'm following up, when are you ready to sell? Um, is is what I would recommend on that.
0: No, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, just step one and what I tell people is like, just take really good notes. <laughs> like just doing that puts you ahead of, I think yeah. what most people are doing here. And it's just, you know, really trying to itemize all of the different things you discuss in your conversation, and eventually, you're going to have a better sense of how to follow up with that specific person. And the good thing about multifamily is, um, you know, obviously th- this isn't the case if you're in multiple markets and you really do, you know, have a very large list or multiple yeah. lists that you're marketing to. But if you have 4,000 records on a list, you might only be following up with a couple hundred people, right? You don't, you don't have that many sellers that you need to become personal with. So it should be a little bit easier for you to actually maintain that personalization throughout that process. Um, but I, but you know, that was one thing I wanted to ask you because I think that's where people start to get lost is the follow-up process, right? And making sure that that part of it is dialed in because one, as you mentioned, it's the most critical part. And then two, a lot of people can just get somebody on the phone, but it's what happens after that. I am not ready to sell. And then they just, they never like either they follow up once or they just don't at all. Um, and they're just waiting for that, you know, that one shot kill, just get the person on the phone or get that inbound call. And that just doesn't work. Um, it
1: just doesn't, it doesn't really exist. Like, and you got to think if, you know, if you're listening to this, you got to put yourself in the situation of being a seller. Like every one of us has sold something in our life and there's something called commission breath that a lot of us approach most conversation. When you know there's money there for you, you're jumping on that call. You're not thinking about that person. Um, and every single seller that's in your CRM that you're talking to is going through a lot of real life situations. And so the people that I get close to in business are people that or that I pay a lot of money to. They started that whole relationship not with like, hey, what can I take from you? What can I give to you? And so when you approach these sellers in a way of how can I add more value to your life than just buying this building from you? Right? Mm-hmm. What are you actually dealing with That's that's creating any kind of motivation that I can help you alleviate? are you not selling because you don't know what to do with the money once you do sell? Okay. Here's how you can, how it can help you alleviate. I know this great 1031 uh, accountant, like you can, you can plug in more ways than just, Hey, sell me your, sell me your property. Cause most people aren't selling to you. Um, if they're already open to having the conversation, they do want to sell. Uh, you just have to find out what's slowing that down. And usually it's going to be, they don't know what to do. They're not educated on the process. Maybe they inherited this. They've never sold one of these before they are scared. Um, and you can educate them and assist them in more ways than, you know, getting commission breath and, and trying to squeeze every dollar out of the deal. You can't
0: hundred percent, man. I love that. Um. Well, we're coming towards the end of the show here. One of the last things that I did want to touch on, and you already kind of brought it up earlier. So, so I might, you know, I might get a repetitive answer out of you. And if that is the case, then, then that's totally fine. <laughs> but, but some of uh, some of the more specialized things that we can do in this business, you know, maybe you got three, four lists in a given market. You got a lead showing up on all of them. Someone that you really want to get in touch with. You mentioned the video postcard You mentioned the, you know, the, was it Synthesis AI, the tool that actually customizes a video? It's Synthesia. I've never heard of that. That's really interesting. Um, Is there anything else that you recommend investors do to really get the most out of that high priority list, that super list, you know, the folks that are showing up on multiple lists that they've pulled?
1: I think the first thing you can do is separate your business into different departments, like your Mm. operation side of how you run an asset once you acquire it. Your um, your acquisition side and, and your if you do wholesale or sell some of off your disposition side and your marketing side. Like if you guys are deciding to create an off market machine, like create a machine and have a marketing side, someone that leads that side that has ownership over leads um, and data and what goes with that. Same for the acquisition side, make sure you have someone that's full time dedicated, has ownership over follow up, pipeline management, and sales. Same for operations. The, the companies I see do that well tend to crush it because they they all have mastery over their own department. Um, obviously if you're a newer and you're wearing every hat, that's fine too. Just make sure you do separate them and treat them like different parts of the business. Cause you know, if you're doing off market deals, you're a marketing company and then you're a sales company and then you're an operations company, right? You're not just a real estate investor. You have, you have, you have to wear multiple hats. And, um, I would say, and above any individual nuance of using this cool software, this cool tool. It comes down to talking to sellers, getting really good at sales, really comfortable on the phone and good at building relationships. Like I could sit here all day and talk about magical software to make it easier. And I'll, I'll name a few here in a second, but none of them are going to really alleviate you from you having to do the work of spending majority of your time, getting better at talking to sellers because that's what off market game is even more so than brokerage because the brokerage game is pretty clear what you do. They know how to work with you. If you're buying off market from them, there's a lot more hurdles. You have to jump for them to develop trust and rapport with you. So Uh, that's kind of my, my monologue on that. But in terms of tools, yeah, I think video postcards, you guys, you can buy those on Alibaba, Alibaba, or you can buy them on a bunch of different vendors on Google. You type it in your market. Those work great. Um, uh, video SMS, MMS stuff. That's, that's just starting to roll out in the U S it's been a thing in Canada for a while. Um, there is, you know, I guess if you're doing cold calling, having very trained high level cold callers will set you apart, but it's just the things in any business that set you apart. It's yeah. It's, it's writing down every single thing um, and mastering each part and it's in a sequential manner and knocking down each domino. And that's what allows the whole thing to come together and do, do a lot of deals. But the biggest thing you guys are listening to this is just getting started. Just talk to that first seller, buy that first, that first list, make that first cold call. Uh, because when you get a, the, the taste of you know creating your own inventory, you control your wealth a lot more than you, you do if you're relying on brokers and it's worth it um, 100% of the time. So that, that, that would be my two cents on um, what can separate you.
0: Love it. No, that's great, man. And I appreciate that for sure. And um, yeah, you know, I think um, the fundamentals, I think, I think most people that are in real estate that understand, you know, that understand the direct to sell their game, just at a high level, right? They know kind of what you have to do. The fundamentals are there. You can make them some small tweaks to make it work much more effectively for you. But it really is just the consistency and the follow-up, right? Consistency in the marketing and the, the the really owning the sales process, right? The follow-up process, because specifically in multifamily, very long sales cycle. You know, most of the people that you speak with today aren't going to want to sell for six months, nine months, eighteen months, whatever, because yep. it is they're not financially motivated um, yep. most of the time, right? Yep. I'm not going to make a blanket statement, but most of the time, so really embrace the follow-up components of this process that's my take on it is is if you're going to if you're really going to spend some time and get better at any part of this that's the part that's worthwhile um in terms of spending your time so yep. well this has been great man i want to uh, i want to get you out of here on time but uh, before we do that where can folks learn more about you? You know, talk about what you got going on, talk about how people might be able to work with you, you know, plug anything that you want to plug and, uh, and then we'll wrap up.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think the biggest thing is I, I have a show now that I launched last month called The Off-Market Operator, specifically talking about out of source residential and, and commercial multifamily off-market real estate. Um, that's a deep dive twice a week into like actual tools and applications. That's a 15 minute show. So it's very just tactical, get in, get out. Um, I'm on, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. I'm big on Twitter. I post a lot of long form stuff on Twitter in my newsletter. Um, but anywhere you have, anywhere you have social media or consume content, you can find me. I'm very active and respond to 99% of DMS as long as there's some kind of like actual question. Um, and besides that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I nerd out on this stuff. So if you guys are ever looking to talk about, you know, sourcing deals off market, you want to learn more about that hit, slide in one of my DMS or um, listen to the show. And, um, yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. I had a blast.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing all the info and um, I'll link, you know, all the socials and the show notes. And uh, if you're on Twitter, go follow Cole on Twitter. Um, He does post a lot of great long form content on there. So I got to, I got to reaffirm that plug because that was a, you know, that's an important one. So, (laughs) but anyways, man, appreciate you coming on, man. Let's, uh, Let's stay in touch.
1: Awesome, appreciate it.